serving is what we are going to now talk about as I kind of transition into the message for today. Uh, over the next three weeks, we're actually going to be talking about that core value because that's one of the core values we have. We call it ministry here at First Baptist Church, and that will build up into our next step Sunday. As I said, that what used to be called our Connection Sunday, uh, and finding a place where you can get involved, where you are making a difference. Now, I know many of you already serve in some way, somehow, maybe not even here on the grounds, but somewhere you are serving in the name of Jesus. Some of you may be Gideon, some of you may serve in other areas. Um, but what the goal of Next Step Sunday is, is to help you find an area where you can use the giftings that God has put into your life so that you can serve in his name because when you were saved, you are not called to then just sit. You are not saved to sit, but you are saved to serve is what we like to say around here. Not saved to sit, but saved to serve. And so these Bibles that Mark was talking about, don't go out into the world unless someone steps up and says, I'll have that as a ministry. I will go and hand those out. We know those have been handed out on on Delta's campus. They've been handed out on other campuses here in Stockton. It makes a difference. We know that Jaron Blythe, who led these kids from right down here in the front row, he stepped up and said, I would love to help Pastor Mark with doing a performing arts camp like that. He's also going to help with our upward program now, as Coach Barry has stepped down from that ministry, and now Jaron Blythe is going to be running our next upward program, which is the basketball program that's going to come up in, uh, you'll be hearing more about that in the October months. Um, I, I think about other people around here who've served and have served so faithfully, but it starts from saying yes. From saying, God, what do you want me to do? Whatever you want me to do, I will step out and do. And I want to share with you over the next couple of weeks a story about a gentleman who um, had a bit of a difficult time at the start of his ministry. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would open them up to Exodus chapter 2. You'll recognize the name, but you might not recognize how we're going to talk about him over these next couple of weeks. There's a lot of different angles to talk about the man we know as Moses, because he's kind of an icon in our society, and as well as being an icon throughout all of history. So many people have heard his story, know his story throughout all the world, but you won't usually see him talked about in the way that we're going to talk about him today, because we usually think of Moses in this... uh, Charlton Heston type of role, especially here in America, where the movie, uh, The Ten Commandments, and it shows uh, Moses parting the Red Sea, and all the Israelites are waiting to go across the Red Sea as the Egyptian army is, is chasing them. Or maybe we see Moses as receiving the Ten Commandments up on the mountaintop, and his face is kind of a glow, and he has those Ten Commandments in hand. Or maybe we think of him as being that young baby in, in the Nile River in Egypt as he was born and then placed in there by his mother. Or maybe we are familiar with a the, with the statue by Michelangelo uh, of Moses. We, we see in our society many times the polished figure of Moses and who he became. We see him as this, this perfect man having this perfect life. Just raise your hands and the wind blows and God speaks through you. But Moses, Moses wasn't always this incredibly obedient servant. In fact, if you really look at it, he had his bad days. He actually had his bad decades, if you want to count it, by years of his life. I mean, would you believe that Moses had an anger issue? He, he would blow a fuse at a moment's notice. 
Would you believe Moses uh, murdered someone? Scripture talks about when he was angry one time, he struck someone and killed them. Would you believe Moses um, uh, played cowardly fugitive in his life? As God called him to something, and he said, uh-uh, no way, I'm out of here. And for 40 years, was out in the wilderness and was a, a sheep herder of, of sheep and animals. Would you believe Moses made excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse to God's very face? Flat out disobedient to God. God asked him at one point if he would speak to the rock and he would provide water for the Israelites. And Moses said, nope, I'll do it my own way. I'll hit the rock. And God still blessed with water to the Israelites, but he had to discipline Moses um, and not let him go into the promised land. These are some of the not-so-proud moments of uh, Moses in his life that we're going to be discovering over these next few weeks because what we're also going to discover is that God uses imperfect people and their imperfect lives for his purpose when we say yes. When we stop with the excuses, and Moses had plenty of them, when we stop with the excuses and say, okay, God, what do you really want me to do? And so let me just jump into a little bit of Moses' story. Moses is talked about in Exodus chapter 2, begins his life. In chapter 1, we kind of see the bridge from Genesis and Joseph and all of his brothers. Now they've come to Egypt now. And in Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 1, we see Pharaoh is saying, man, these Israelites are way too numerous. Let's kill all the baby boys that are born so they won't multiply like rabbits like they had been doing here. And so Moses' mother, as she gave birth to Moses, obviously a little boy, said, I want to spare his life. She gives birth. She's able to float him in the Nile River as, her, as his sister watched over him. He floats in this kind of basket with pitch and tar that was waterproof. Pharaoh's daughter finds him as God would have this come about. Sister comes on the scene and says, would you like me to provide a nurse for him as well? And so she lines him up with Moses' very mother. So Moses' mother is helping to nurse and raise Moses as he is a Hebrew raised as an Egyptian. Which is why we, I, I say, you know, he, he had the perfect life. I mean, here he is raised in an Egyptian household Josephus, in fact, would say, <clears throat> he's a church historian, that Moses had a, a perfect build. People, in fact, would go out of their way to view Moses and the physique that he had. He was educated in Pharaoh's household, and at that time, they were one of the most advanced civilizations in math and science and engineering. And so you, you can see what I mean when I say Moses had all the wealth, he had the education, he had the power, he had the physique, and he seems almost too perfect for us to relate to. He had it all. Until one day, when he's about 40 years old, and he does something that will affect the rest of his life. He makes a huge mistake. An Egyptian was beating one of his people, the Hebrews, and find this in Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And he looked this way and that, 
And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian. Now, let me just stop the story for there for just a moment. Can I just say this? If you're thinking about doing something, and yet before you do it, you have to look this way and that to see if it's okay, probably not a good idea, right? It says he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, or at least he thought he saw no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And so he thinks he gets away with killing this man and nobody saw him, but one of his own people saw him. And so a few days later, he is out and he's speaking to his uh, members of the Hebrew um, uh, family. And he says something to them because they're having an argument. He says, can't we all get along? And they look back at him and says, or what? Are you going to kill us like you did that Egyptian? And he discovered he had been found out. And, uh, death edict is put upon Moses' life by Pharaoh, and Moses runs into the desert of Sinai. Being a sheep herder for 40 years, wasting all of that education, throwing away the power that he had there in Pharaoh's court, throwing away their prestige, wasting his life shepherding sheep. This is the story of Moses that I, I want to look at. Because most of us can relate to this Moses. Most of us, you know, we, we don't relate as much to the, the educated, powerful, great looks, great physique kind of Moses as compared to what he did after we, we hear a story of going to Pharaoh, saying yes, God being with him, Savior of the Hebrews, leading them out into the promised land. This hinge moment is the moment that he is before the burning bush. And as Moses stands before the burning bush, God says, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And this is not Moses with the great physique. This is not Moses with the sharp mind. This is not Moses ruling over Pharaoh's court. This is 80-year-old Moses. Some would say this is has-been Moses, sheep herder Moses, past his prime Moses. And God says, uh-uh, no way just perfect. This is the one I'm calling. You are my servant. I'm choosing you to face Pharaoh. And standing before the burning bush, God tells Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And immediately Moses whips out his top five list and labels it, my top five reasons why I ain't going to see no Pharaoh, God. You ever been there? You ever done that? I know I have. I mean, we we make these excuses why, God, um, I I can't share my faith in this situation. God, I I couldn't be the one to hand out Bibles. God, I couldn't be the one to go on a mission trip. God, I couldn't be the one to forgive my brother or sister or aunt or uncle or mom or dad or next door neighbor. God, I couldn't be the one to lead a small group. God, I couldn't be the one to get involved in serving in some sort of a ministry. God, no, not me. I, I mean, I drug my feet getting into ministry. I am so thrilled that we have Derek Metro and his family here. Um, I've been in contact with Derek for, for really a couple of years since I became senior pastor here, saying, Derek, um, you know, God still has a call on your life. Is Derek still in the service? There he is. He's still here. Um, God has a call on your life. He, he, he has a call. And, and Derek knew that. 
He knew that, and he says, just not the right time. It's just not the right time. And we know God works out everything in God's timing. And at one point, I just asked Derek, I said, Derek, do you see yourself as being a minister in a church someday? And there was a long pause in there, and Derek said, yeah, I do. And I said, great. That's all I wanted to hear. It does not have to be here at First Baptist Stockton, although I was praying that way. But wherever you serve, just answer that call. I mean, so many others of you... Um, may have drugged your feet and then you get involved in ministry and you do things and you think, why did I wait so long? I, I, again, Jaron Blythe leading this ministry here. It is so much fun to see him in ministry and joining our staff in that way. I, I think about the venue service that we're going to start in just over, uh, just under a month's time. We're at 11.15. We're going to have a brand new service starting our gymnasium. Uh, they're doing some tech rehearsal there today where we're going to broadcast a service, the message that is from here. They'll have a, a unique band that's in there. They'll have a campus pastor. They'll have people who need to serve and usher and greet and communities and small groups. But they're a part of our larger family going in the same way. And then when the message time comes, we drop the screen and we show the same message that's in here will be shown over there. I think about the people that need to step up and get out of their comfort zone and say, yeah, I'll be used in that way. I'll be inviting people to come, and we'll share more about the vision behind that in the next few weeks as we build up to that. I think about, you know, places like the Bereavement Committee that do such valuable work here when people suffer a loss, a death of a loved one. All there needs to be is one phone call that goes out from uh, uh, Eloise Freitas. Uh, And there is food, food, food that comes in to bless the people after a, a, a funeral service that we have here on the grounds. The Metro family, we're able to bring them food and dinners. Um, parents arrived a whole week before the Metros came, and there were four or five U.S. families who stepped up and said, can we bring them meals to make a difference in just getting them settled into their home? We talked about the media team. Um, community group facilitators, we're going to be going into. There are so many different areas for people to step into, and again, that's coming up on Next Step Sunday. But maybe you're one of those who are saying, ah, I'm not so sure it's for me. I'm not so sure I would, I, would, I would have the skills, the ability, the talent. Listen, God has not saved you to sit. He has saved you to serve. And just like Moses was stepping into this, Moses comes up with these excuses. You want to hear some of them? Take out your outline. We're going to go over the first two today. So the next three on the back page we'll be covering next week. So don't get too upset if we're not covering all the way through that. All right? Moses' five favorite excuses. Here we go. Excuse number one. I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. In other words, who me? You want, you want who? Look at chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of, Egypt, of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I to do this? Are you really calling me? I'm just a shepherd. You, you've dialed the wrong bush out here in the wilderness. I'm not so sure this is me that you want. Remember who I am? I'm murderer Moses. God, you remember that little thing that I did back there? Are you sure you want to use me in this? And look what God says. God's answer, I will be with you. Moses, do not think that you're a nobody because I will be with you. That's what it says in verse 12. Very plainly, God said, but I, I will be with you. And what's interesting about this is that um, God doesn't try and pump up Moses. He doesn't try and say, Moses, you're the man. You can do this. You, you're the guy. You're, you're the man. God says, no, 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 no. 
I, I, I'm the one. I'm still the man. I, I, I'm God in this situation. You're still going to have to rely upon me, but I'll be with you. You don't have to step left or right without knowing I will be there with you. Because he knew. Moses didn't have the power. God had the power. And when you come to the end of yourself, that's when God steps in. Please hear me on this, because so many of you could probably serve in a way in your own giftings, in your own talent, and in your own ability. That's not what God wants you to do. He wants you to do it in his power. It is so much more effective. In fact, if you are already serving, ask yourself, am I doing something in my life that I can do in my own power? Or am I doing something that I have to have God involved or I will fail? That's where God wants us. He wants us to be serving in a place that we have to be totally dependent upon him. Because that's when we rely upon him. That's where his promise comes through. The promise is not only to Moses, it's to us as well. Look at the very last words that Jesus was saying while he was on earth. He says in Matthew 28, 20, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see those words there? I am with you. Does that mean he'll be with you when you share your faith? Absolutely. Does that mean he'll be with you when um, you're challenged to be ethically moral in your workplace? Absolutely. Does that mean he'll be with you when you are challenged to stay in your marriage or to say, I'm thrown in the towel, I'm done? Absolutely. And even if you have messed up, God can use you. I, I remember the story here. This is murderous Moses who became a sheep herding nobody. And yet God uses him. In fact, let me say it like this. God can do more with a nobody than anybody else can do with a somebody. Okay? Let me say that one again. God can do more with a nobody than anybody else can do with a somebody. In fact, I think God loves to use people who think they're nobodies. Because that's when we kind of wiped ourselves clean from it and said, okay, God, you have, you have to show up here or else I cannot do this. And yet, many of us, I think, probably throw out the excuse that we failed at something. So we, we don't want to fail God. Let me say it this way. Fail, failure is not final. Some of you may say, um, you know, Pastor Brad, I, I've been divorced. How could I ever serve? One of our most significant ministries here at First Baptist Church was done by Buddy and Sherry D'Antone after they had gone through a divorce, been remarried, committed their lives to Christ, learned from what they had gone through, and were able to help others going through a divorce recovery. Divorce recovery workshop. We called it for a number of years. Now, Pastor Susie and the singles do the same sort of thing, helping people take those steps out of divorce and get up healing. Some of you might say, you know what? I, I've been bankrupt. I haven't managed my finances very well. You know what? If now you can and you've learned from that, who better to help other people to step out there and say, here's the mistakes I made. Don't make them. Let me help walk you through some of the mistakes I've made and learn from my mistakes. Maybe your marriage has been on the rocks, but now it's in a good place. We would love for you to be involved in helping other marriages come to that place as well. Maybe some of you have murdered someone. Bible would call abortion murder. 
And maybe you have had an abortion. Maybe you have encouraged your girlfriend or your wife to have an abortion. You say, oh man, that disqualifies me. Absolutely not. If you have learned from that and asked for God's forgiveness from that, who better to counsel people at our pregnancy help center that Nikki Lowry runs and, and, and brings people in who are thinking about abortions but be able to say, here's what I went through. I don't want you to go through this as well. God uses those failures that we have walked through. But we have to be willing to say yes. And, and Moses is right in this place. where he's saying, God, I, I'm a nobody. You don't want to use me in the midst of this. God says, uh-uh. Uh-uh, you're, you're, you're not a nobody. I can use you. I will be with you. And so excuse number two, because number one didn't work so well, he comes up with this thought. I don't know what to say. What am I going to tell him? Look at verse 13. <coughs> then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And when Moses gives this excuse, God tells Moses his name. And you can read it in the text where, and I just imagine the, the, the bush burning brighter. It fires up more intensely when God says his name, Yahweh. This is the holy name, the sacred name, the, the name that was only mentioned, even mentioned once a year as the high priest would go into the most holy of holy places to offer forgiveness for the people. The people would not even write down this full name with all the vowels in it. They would just write the other words uh, or letters that would represent his name because this name was so holy. This name was a Hebrew verb. It was really an archaic verb, which meant to be, translates into, I am. Tell the people, I am. I am who I am has sent you. Not one of their Egyptian superhero gods. I am of a different paradigm. I am an, of an other world. I am. You're not, but I am. You tell them, Yahweh has sent you. And so he goes on to explain to him, and he tells them, when you tell them that, here's what I want you to mention as well. God answers him by saying, tell them what you've experienced here in this place. Tell them how you have been in my presence. Look at verse uh, 14 through 17. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Say to them, the Lord, he's the one who appeared to you. Now, I don't know your view of God, but I have a feeling that every one of us does not have a big enough God in our minds. And we think it's more dependent upon us than it is upon him. Or maybe we overthink it and think God could never use me. I, I'm reminded of the story in John chapter 9 where a blind man is healed by Jesus and he gets pulled before the Sanhedrin court and they start accusing him and saying, you weren't really blind, you're just faking it. No, you weren't that way. And, and, and he's like, no, I am. Remember, I was with my parents and they've known me from birth and here I am. I, and, and they accuse him and they say, well, Jesus didn't really heal you. And finally he stops them and he says, listen up. All I know is that I was blind, but now I, what's he say? Now I see. 
And when you step into some sort of a situation this week, I don't know what that may be. When God asks you to speak for him, just share what you know. You were blind, but now you see. God will give you those words. I I, I am serious when I say this. I've been your senior pastor now for two years, and I still wake up feeling unqualified for this position. Still on Sunday mornings, uh, 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 kind of a, uh, butterflies in the stomach that I have to stand up here and speak for, for, for a, a, an incredibly holy God, and I just know that I am in, in, inadequate at doing that. I've faced different situations um, that I never thought I would face in, in, in two years. Um, uh, just this last, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, stepped into a situation that was helping, uh, happening in our south parking lot. I was up in my office just getting ready to study and um, I heard a commotion going on down there of a man and a woman yelling at each other. And I knew there were some kids out on our playground. I knew that this did not look good. And I looked across the parking lot and I saw these two people arguing. And so I immediately ran down the stairs and ran out across the street, um, uh, approaching them, though, kind of cautiously because you never know what's going to happen in one of those kind of situations. And also praying the whole time I'm walking out there. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? And I just said, hey, folks, 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 can we, can we calm this down? What's going on? How can I help? And at first, you know, they're still bickering. They're still yelling back and forth, and they don't really want anybody in the midst of this. The man had actually picked up his bicycle that he was riding and threw it across the parking lot. He was so angry it was going on. As I got them to, to kind of just talk, I, I, I found out that they were husband and wife. They had now been divorced, and there was just an angry domestic dispute going on. I asked the woman, okay, where are you headed? She says, I'm headed to get my next high. I'm looking for drugs. I said, ma'am, we want to help. And she starts digging into her bag. And, and she, I, I'm over on this side. The man's here and she's here and she's digging into her bag. She's not looking at me. She's not doing anything. And, and I, said, I, said, I said, finally, I said, ma'am, I'm a pastor here at the church. And we want to help. And as soon as I said I was a pastor, she stopped rummaging through her bag. And she turns and she looks at me. And I'll never forget this look. It was a look as though she was saying, you really would want to help me? I said, yeah. We want to help. I, I, I saw what was going on right there. I'm here. What can I do to help? Finally, she kind of she came down from, from her anger. And we talked a little bit. The husband was upset, so he just kept on walking. And I had a chance to talk with her. I went back across the street. I got some resources for her. I said, here are some things that I want to encourage you to do. We are a church, though, that wants to help, and we will help you. You know where we are. I said, where are you headed? She said, well, my mom just lives right across the street there, and so I'm headed right there. I said, you know what steps you need to take. She said, yeah, I my sister actually has been a part of that program, and I, I, I know where I can go. I said, good. I said, um, can I pray for you, though, before you leave? She didn't quite know how to hear that. I didn't quite know how to pray on that. <laughs> but as I began to pray for her, I just felt God saying, put your hand on her shoulder. And as I did, I'm thinking every excuse that Moses has brought up here, like, Okay, well, I don't want to touch her. I, I shouldn't touch her. I wonder if she yells. I, I mean, what, what, what? But I just began to pray, and I just put my hand on her shoulder, and as soon as I did, she just melted. Like, like nobody had touched her like that. Like nobody had valued her like that. And I just prayed for her. I, I don't remember the words. I still don't remember what I said. But God gave me some words to pray over her. 
And then she began to leave. She started taking a couple steps. And then she turned back around and she looked at me. And, and she ran over and she gave me a big hug. Now I'm thinking, whoa, what is everybody looking at like this? Like, right? I didn't know I was going to be in that kind of a situation that day. You don't know what kind of a situation you're going to be called to this week. But God's going to call you. And whether it be an instantaneous calling, or whether it be some calling of ministry that we want you to step into and serve in, whether it be uh, 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 volunteering at a local organization here in the name of Jesus, whether it be serving in a mission trip, whatever it is, when you have that calling, as you do, because if you've been saved, you've been saved to serve, you tell them what you've experienced, and you tell them who you know. You know God. And you tell them, I was blind, but now I see. It all begins when you say yes. <clears throat> Let me finish the story here, and then, and then we'll finish the other three points next week. But go back for a second to Exodus chapter 3. And I noticed something very interesting about this story. God did not just like throw down a huge lightning bolt right in front of Moses' path. It's interesting because we see in Exodus chapter 3, verse 3, it says, um, And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. You know what that tells me? It tells me Moses was walking along his way. God creates this bush. Moses noticed it, but he had a choice. Was he going to go investigate or was he not? It says, I will turn aside to go look. He didn't have to. God wasn't forcing him to. Just like God is not going to force you to do what he'd like you to do this week. In your work, area of play, family, neighbor, whatever it is. God's going to put something upon your heart. You're going to walk the other way or are you going to go investigate? Are you going to be his spokesperson? And again, what happens at the beginning of this burning bush scene in verse 5 is that God says, don't come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is, what's the word there? It's, it's holy ground. I'm calling you first. Everywhere you go is holy ground because it's God's ground. You're on holy ground here. You're being instructed by him and his Holy Spirit. You go out into the world. That's God's holy ground because he is there and he's calling you to that place. First, take moments to worship, to praise, to listen and say, God, okay, you've asked me. Now, what do you want me to say? He'll give you the words. My prayer is this week that you don't make excuses like Moses. And Moses got three other good ones coming up. We'll talk about that next week. My prayer is today you'll say, okay, God, you got me. What do you want me to do? If you will pray this week, don't always have to answer yet. If you got an answer, great, step out there, but just pray this week. I'm convinced God will start putting things upon your heart to allow you to make a difference in the city of Stockton. Let's pray. God, um, we want to hear your call. We want to hear your voice. I know you've called each and every one, uh, every one of us to, to make a difference in this city. Not the easiest city to work in. Not the easiest generation to be a part of. We know, Lord, we know how dark our days are. And yet you've called us to make a difference. But we can't if we say no. And so, Lord, may we be the people who say yes. 
If you're calling, we're answering, and we're answering yes. Lord, whatever that may be. It may be a frightful situation. It may be a situation that we feel so unprepared for. Or God, it may be just right in our giftings, and we know that you have asked us to serve. Lord, I thank you for your calling of how you want to use us. You could do it all on your own, but you, you set it up to use us, your people who are called to serve in your name. And so, God, may we be those faithful people. And God, even now, as we've heard a couple of Moses' excuses, and as we prepare to hear a few more next week, I pray that we would learn from Moses what not to do, and that we would learn to just be the servant who says yes. Who says yes. So, folks, let me ask you this. Every head bow, every eye closed. If today you would say, you know what, Pastor Brad, I've been one of those people making excuses. I've been running. I haven't been doing what God wants me to do. Or even if you would be a person to say, I don't know what he wants me to do yet, but I'm there. Would you do me a favor? Would you just raise your hand and just say, Pastor Brad, would you be praying for me? Just pray for me, and I'll pray for you this week. Praise God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dozens and dozens of hands. Absolutely. I will be praying for you this week that God will speak to you because he has something for you to do in his name. God, thank you for the faith commitments that have gone on all around this building. Thank you for your word that gets planted in our heart. May we take steps this week. May we know we're on holy ground. Even now as we worship and praise you, may we hear from you so that we go into the world and share the word you place upon our heart. We love you. We listen to you now. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.